Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Gunnar Peterson built his business building bodies. Not only is he one of the most well-reputed personal trainers in the industry, he is a hilarious dude. By combining his interpersonal skills with his love for training, he was able to create a unique product that led him to the likes of the L.A. Lakers. Gunner has over 25 years of experience, which is decent, but more to the point, his philosophy is sound and his knowledge is legit. This is episode 267. Sunday, Sunday. No, John, we tried that last time. It is Friday. Friday, Friday, Friday. Friday. But no, it's still Tuesday. It's Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing, 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 ing. I'm curious how many listeners w- would buy a shirt that just said ing, ing, ing on it. Uh, I thought it was one ing or hashtag ing, ing. <laughs> uh, I think it would just be Ingo, and he wouldn't buy it. He would oh, find yeah. a way to get it for free. So here's no, what I would he, like to he do. What Ingo write, would do is... He would write O's no, onto the end no, of the inks. No, what would happen <laughs> is Ingo would find a picture of that shirt, and then he'd take it to some sweatshop and get it reproduced for a fraction of the pennies, and then talk about how great the shirt is on the, uh, on the message boards. So we haven't just bombarded any other staff members with unnecessary emails recently so why don't we have listeners who want an ing 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 shirt send an email to harry h-a-r-r-y <laughs> at powerathletehq.com the message could literally be anything but just say listen or something along the lines of this listen we need an ing 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 shirt and just do it already would you yeah and it'll be a surprise because <laughs> harry doesn't listen to the podcast nor will he know what the fuck's going on it's gonna be perfect uh, he really doesn't check his email so all of a sudden he's just gonna get bombarded with emails that say ing 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 and he's yeah. gonna be like blimey from kathy summers doris wellborn frank mcquilkin <laughs> <laughs> oh lawyer. so our parents listen to the podcast <laughs> that's what i assume i don't know who the three people could uh, be i'm pretty sure my mom doesn't know really how to get on the internet oh uh, i can imagine that john john Where's the podcast? I don't understand. Oh, no. She already asked me about the one with my dad. She's like, well, how do I go listen to it? I'm like, well, you, you got to uh, go to the website. And I was explaining it to uh, her. John, and she's, time for this. <laughs> she's like, well, just can't I just you know hit a button and it'll just come up? I'm like, yes, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> and she's like, but where is it? And I was like, in the computer. <laughs> the files are in the computer. Uh, uh. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're not just peddling imaginary shirts to annoy our coworkers. We also are going to peddle. The Power Athlete Symposium, a three-day event in Austin, Texas, the Downtown premier Austin, Texas. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, there's a good chance that the person that we're having on this podcast might be presenting at this. Yes, we're not committing to anything, of course, but maybe that is a spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen. December seventh, eighth, and ninth, we are doing our best to assemble the next extraordinary league of presenters to deliver to you life-changing information. Take it for what it's worth. Not once has someone walked away disappointed from this event. It started very humble, if you remember, John, like I 10 think it to 15 started people. With, yeah, I think it was 12 people in... Uh, invite in, only. Invite only at Power Athlete mm-hmm. uh, HQ in Costa Mesa. We got together, we talked, we laughed, we loved, we cried. And you know what we ended up doing? We did uh, lactic acid threshold testing on mm-hmm. assault bikes mm-hmm. and fucking imploded ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys want no secret? I found a way out of that. I was setting up the video. 
<laughs> the <laughs> truth. Everyone the fucking truth did it. Comes out. Everyone did it. Not me. I was oh. too busy. Like there was GoPro errors in there. They're like, dude, we <laughs> absolutely <laughs> smashed ourselves. What, I remember Luke, uh, Espy. Luke Luke Espy never came to another symposium after that. Uh, <laughs> well, he he pretty much like that was the last time I ever saw him. And he uh, was going for it. He wanted you, big fella. Uh, I think dude, he uh, no, he didn't. Did I don't think he beat me. Oh, yeah, he never no. backs down. Yeah, but five years. And the truth finally comes out. You I don't know. No one's ever son asked of a me. Bitch. No one, you know what? Because you guys are fucking selfish, always thinking about yourself. No one's been like, hey, Luke, how was that lactic acid hey, threshold Luke, training? Hey, Luke, how was that lactic, <laughs> lactic acid threshold training? Uh, John, I pretended that there was camera malfunction and didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. No, is and that you not par for the course? And you know the best is, does Hens know this? I no way. Know. Because I mean, she's uh, going to be offended. Because right? she uh, is she, offended she's going to be right the, now. She's no, 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 right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's going to be offended right now. Dude, I have those videos. I'll have to get them. Like you see, like me, like whoa, it doesn't work. Okay, oh. it's just fucking great. It's on. And we're just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, poor no, no. Uh, he was speaking in tongues. I was like, I, I thought he spoke no, English. That's just Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't speak Spanish. Oh, oh dude, it was that was a good. Those are good Humble days, bro. Beginnings, man, and it's grown into something that and I would say unregrettably has grown you know i think there's time you reflect and you're like man have we fucking gone too big i think it's perfect i think it's perfect what we put together tickets are limited to 300 spaces it's going to sell out honestly by the time you're hearing this i bet you the practical is already sold out because we only have 80 spots available for the practical already it's gonna be amazing so a lot of that tickets have been allocated people i'm sorry it's not my problem it's your problem because you fucking snooze you lose so go to events.powerathletehq.com check out all the details you could ever want to hear about the Power Athlete Symposium in 2018. But now we bring in, I guess, this guy is, is I think a pretty he's, prominent well, figure I in think what we do. I think he's the premier trainer in strength and conditioning in, in Hollywood. In Hollywood. With celebrities and the mm -hmm. Lakers. But, I mean, that, I feel like that's where he's been cast into now. And talking to, I think, Woodski at the symposium, he's like, a lot of people don't realize the contributions the dude's made to some of the publications that we use today like if you dig he's in there OG because he's been around for a while right and uh, it's pretty interesting to hear his philosophies I gotta say I I agree with a lot of the shit he does and it's it's remarkable how resilient the guy is because as John we talk about in this episode like this this fucking job can be pretty pretty heavy and it's it's not hard to turn your back to it after a few years if you just don't, if you can't find that stream. No, that and he's been able to not only do this job, but do it better and work with a higher clientele yeah. and continue to work and work and uh, really build a name for himself. And, um, and on top of it is not only is he, you know, very successful and done a lot of really cool things in terms of business, but he's actually a cool motherfucking dude. And uh, we hung out at Summer Strong. We threw axes. We, uh, you know, had a couple drinks. We laughed. I mean, he, um, you know, incredible storyteller, great sense of humor, mm -hmm. and uh, just an all-around pretty fucking cool dude. Gunner Peterson, people. So strap yourself in. Let's hear about working with the Hollywood scene, working with the Lakers, growing as a coach, some humble origins, and how this dude has fucking managed to build, I would say, like an empire. Yeah. Like he's done some amazing shit out there. So. Let's do it. The man, the myth, the legend, John Wellborn. Oh, <laughs> as always, I'm so thankful to be a guest on my own podcast. Uh, well, I'm sorry, a guest on the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. Ing. And John brought his tiny sidekick with him to <laughs> tell jokes and talk shit to us the whole time, Mr. Gunnar Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> Gunnar, what's going on, man? I'm good. What color shirt is that? Is there a name for that color? Um, is that like calf shit? 
<laughs> I was going to say it's... I, mean, I don't know. I'm just flipping through the, the little palette here, and that's all I got. <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm gonna... Uh, it's good. I, I think you should. That's all I got. I'm just going to talk about you, nothing about your receding hairline. You went to the same barber that uh, Kobe Bryant went to? I cut my own hair, actually. Do you really? And that's so one of his many talents, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, don't know, I didn't say it was a talent. I just said <laughs> it's, a, it's a mainly a time-saving activity. So we were supposed to do this podcast last week, but I think you had to fly to Switzerland for dinner? Was that what happened? I have no recollection of that. Oh, okay. All right, well. You want to hear my Ali North, you want to hear my Ali North impression? Uh, I don't recall. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> So, uh, what else we got? Well, Gunnar, let's say some yeah. of our listeners don't know who you are. Let's hear the let's hear the. Resume. I mean, is what there anybody who now? doesn't know who Gunnar Peterson is? Uh, yeah, the Dinks, I guess, the Dinks and the Donkeys. Yeah, well, Gunnar, tell us about yourself, please. Uh, I'm a personal trainer at Beverly Hills. I'm also the strength and endurance director for the LA Lakers. Uh, father of four, happily married, four dogs, uh, size eleven shoe. What else you need? Well, Lakers is a new gig, right? So, I mean, you haven't always been kicking around uh, the Lakers locker room working with those guys. So what's the deal with that? How did you come about that gig? I started that last year. I got a call from their GM, Rob Palinka, and he asked me to come in, and, and um, we spoke about it. And I thought originally it would be a consulting job because I have my own facility in Beverly Hills, and I'm pretty slimmed um, all day long. And he said, we want you to run the program. And, and I came home and... and ran up by the boss and the little bosses and everybody said, do it. Don't worry, do it. <laughs> and, um, that's the, just put, keep pulling the plow, dad. And I did. Is it something that, uh, I remember we talked a little bit, like you've worked with basketball guys before, but, um, I mean, some people might thought they think that this was something out of the ordinary, but for a long time, you've actually been training basketball guys. No, I've worked with NBA guys for 22 years, obviously off-season only. Every now and then I have some of the diligent ones who didn't make the All-Star team who during All-Star break would come back to L.A. and they'd, they'd roll through the gym and, and want to beat it up every day. So I have those guys, but I've never had a – I mean, let's be fair, since I graduated, I haven't had a real job um, or a commute or a boss or anything. I mean, I've been a trainer for 29 years. <laughs> Like, uh, but that's how, that's how a lot of people see it. That's I'm being well, crazy. yeah, you're being uh, uh, extremely, you know, a little self-deprecating. But like, how did you get into this thing? I mean, it's no, it's uh, that's, that's what people say. They say, why don't you get a real job? And it's one of those. It's actually an ironic thing. People see you after after not having seen you before and they go, you still do the, the training thing. And I think this is one of the only jobs where people say that because you don't get people that go, you still are you still doing that, that doctor thing? What were you doing there? You never get that. You don't get it. But in this field, it's always looked at as a job versus a career as though you, you sort of stumbled upon it and you, you know, you were going to be in and out. And, and so I go, yeah, I'm still messing with that. I'm thinking about law school, but I don't know. This is working out. for me. Uh, you know, you grew up in, you know, uh, what was it in uh, uh, Nashville, uh, Tennessee? I was in Texas. We were in Houston until I was 12 and my family moved overseas and my brother and I went to a boarding school in Switzerland. And then I came back, went to college. Uh, I went to graduate from Duke and came out here. I stopped in New Orleans for like a two year happy hour. Um, and I kept waiting for them to close the bar and they just never did. And then, no. then I came, then I came out here. 
And then how'd, uh, how'd you get your big start? I mean, uh, what was really like the big uh, kind of breakthrough for you where, you know, you show up in L.A., you're, you know, going to get people fit and get people rocking and all of a sudden you kind of hit it. And was it a uh, was it a lightning strike or was it more just kind of a slow kind of chipping away? Yeah, it starts slow. You know, you're ridiculously handsome. So people approach with caution and then you sort of. So are you nodding? I see you just he's nodding. <laughs> of all the ridiculously handsome people on this call, it's <laughs> just pump the brakes, pal. Uh, and you start training, and, and you don't ever start out. I don't think, and although now you see, you hear it more. But I didn't start out saying I want to work with X Y Z population. I was just a fat kid who got fit through working out, and, and it was more of a Hey, look! Did you know this works? Did you know you can do this? And it was more um, sharing the message. So. That's what I did. And then you get asked because of where I am, because of my zip code, you get asked by someone who was in the public eye and then eventually that public eye turns to you and says, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Who are you and why? And then you know you're talking to John Wilburn. Interesting. I mean, the pinnacle of your, I'm sure your professional achievement is being on this podcast. It's right up there. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. going to say, you know, winning a, you know, like winning an Academy Award. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, being on this podcast, it's, it's right up there. I mean, there's the podium, right? There's gold, <laughs> silver, bronze, there's, there's this. <laughs> Wait, you're, so for our listeners, he's just kind of going lower and lower with his hand. You know, the funny part is, the is he's not wearing pants. I have, <laughs> haven't seen anybody wear hot pink underwear like that in, in, you know, in quite a while. What's underwear? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, uh, when you first came to L.A., I mean, what, what year did you show up in L.A.? I showed up in 87. So 87, uh, a couple years after the uh, Olympics were in L.A. I mean, people, you know, fitness was hot. People were, were, you know, trying to get back into this whole deal. And, like, you know, did you work at, like, uh, you know, 24-hour fitness or a big place? Or how did it all work? No, there was still a lot of chrome and neon in 87. Um, But I went, like a lot of guys who started working out, I went right down to Gold's Venice and signed right up and couldn't get in there fast enough and couldn't try to lift more weight fast enough and that was just i don't know it was like a, it was a rite of passage i guess in the 80s and um and i and i tried you know i i dabbled around in different little goofy jobs and um someone asked so i started working out and someone said you know can you train me can i work out with you actually is how it came out and i said yeah let's see and then they said what do you charge and i that kind of threw me for a loop and i said i will get back to you yeah and Went home and a buddy goes, dude, you got to do that. You got to do that. You could make serious cash. And so I, I started and then it picked up and, and I was working at a uh, talent agency at the time. And I realized with just two or three clients that I was making more in six or seven hours than I was making 45 hours in an office. And so I left. And after about six months, I decided to get serious about it. And I started to seek out as much information as I could, which was different from doing that now where you can be certified on at the university of Instagram in just minutes. Um, and I, I went to seminars and I went to gyms and I went to trade shows and I did all that stuff. So early on, as you decided like to get serious and get into this, the education, what, what, what avenues were your choices right back in those neon and Chrome days in the eighties where, you know, the, the internet wasn't there. The, we have stories of folks have to pick up a phone and call somebody like, who's your lifeline who eventually became a mentor of yours? Uh, I actually dialed once I, I read in the back of muscle and fitness magazine, there was an editor, uh, Fred Hatfield, Dr. Squat. And 
I dialed the number just because, and he answered. And he's like, Fred Hatfield. And I said, wow, oh, I didn't even have a question. I was just, <laughs> I just wanted to see if it was a real number. And um, I asked him a couple of questions about squats. Couldn't have been nicer. And that was that. And then I trained, uh, I trained with Bob Paris once. And I trained with Charles Glass once. And I was just like feeling it out. And, and I'd get information by going to seminars. And I went to... Um, I think some of the early seminars like Vern Gambetta, Paul Check, Juan Carlos Santana. And it was just pick up anything you could. I'm literally buying stuff on 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 VHS. And in fact, uh, when I got my CSCS originally, I listened to all the lectures on cassette tape. I was like, I'm dating myself, but at least I'm dating, right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it's an origin story, you know what I mean? And you've just been consistent and deliberate in how you approach this process. And it sounds like just slowly refining. And, you know, we've had the good fortune of spending some time with you at Summer Strong, get to hear some tactics. And then really it's about making the connection, right? Because the sets and reps are a bit universal, right? There's not a lot of levers you can pull with most of this population that's looking to just get in shape. It's about motivating them. It's about making a connection and making it worth their time to come see you. And, right. and sharing information with people, right? Like passing it down, giving people usable take-home messaging that they can apply when they're not under your immediate tutelage. And and that's where I think some people maybe aren't doing the service that they could be. And I had a kid once, we did a uh, we did an event here for Propel or Gatorade, I forget which. And as we came out of the event, packing up my truck, this kid said to me, who I, I brought on to help, and also to give him a little shine. And he said man, it was so much easier getting your name out there when you were coming up versus now. Uh, first of all, massive insult. And I don't know if you meant it or not. I mean, it's kind of a tool. And I said, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Back then when there were no answering machines or cell phones and not that many people cared about fitness and you had to literally go to old magazine stands to find this month's issue of muscle and fitness or flex or runner's world. Yeah, you're right. It was so easy back then versus now where, I mean, you could get so much information. Forget the internet. If you just go to literally Instagram and, and scroll through certain accounts and, and little things within that account that takes you somewhere else it's like a, you can just get lost down that rabbit hole and there's obviously a lot of it's misinformation but there's there's so much eye-opening stuff videos and and posts and cues and i don't know there's a lot today there's a lot to to sift through i think on a daily basis what would you say your biggest strength is in terms of uh you know dealing with you know really just uh kind of upper echelons in terms of like, you know, Hollywood clients and these high-end people, what would you say your strength is? I mean, cause you know, I mean, obviously you, uh, you know, have a good sense of humor and you know, don't take yourself too seriously, but in something like Hollywood where everybody takes everything so seriously, how do you think you've navigated that better than anybody? It's funny you said that about a sense of humor. I, I tell, I try to tell these, I've had trainers come through my gym. I've had guys work with me. Uh, I've had my own gym for 21 years. My brother once said, oh, my God, he got another guy in there. That's a huge turnover rate. I go, that's six guys working with me in, in 21 years. I don't think that's a massive turnover. I mean, you know. But um, you try to tell them after the, the, the foundation is laid that really it's about making something that's uncomfortable or um, – that looks, you know, as ominous that they can't believe they're undertaking this huge thing, depending if they're trying to lose weight or, or what their, what their end goal is. And you're trying to make it 
uh, palatable. You're trying to make it fun. So infuse a little levity. And, and, and I had a kid once, I watched him and he was talking as though someone had jammed a textbook up his ass. And he was literally, I watched the lady's eyes going like this, just glazing over. And I said, dude, you're killing her. You, you are boring her to death. And he snapped at me and he goes, not everyone's a comedian like you. I said, then take a class. So the, the improv literally is, is less than a mile from here. There's the comedy store. You can take classes. I took one. I took a 12-week uh, stand-up comedy seminar. And I'm not saying that's for everybody, but if you're OCD like I am, you're going to take an improv class. You can take a stand-up comedy class. You can take public speaking classes. These are all things. You should take a commercial workshop, ways to deliver your message because you are delivering a message. That's, at the end of the day, that's a big part of your job. And that's just one piece of guidance. And so many people get caught up in the books, the information, even on Instagram. What other guidance would you have for anybody getting into this industry, like take a uh, comedy class, take a business class? What else do you have for them? Uh, but you're going to get you're going to get back. Oh, I'll take a comedy class. Right. Sure. Like, I'm, no, but take a comedy class. Seriously, learn how to deliver a joke. Learn how to set up a joke. Deliver a joke. It's going to help you in your personal life. It's going to help you in in your work life. It doesn't mean you have to walk around and be the clown, but it means you get the joke and you're able to communicate that joke. And that's um, that's a skill that I think makes people comfortable around you. So that's worth doing. I mean, you, at the end of the day, you are um, we're we're you know today's age of personal branding right everybody everybody's a brand and if you're selling yourself or marketing yourself you have to know what you're marketing i have a friend who puts stuff on instagram and he's kind of all over the page not that it's not all good not that he couldn't be any one of those things to a deeper degree but he's He's a little bit of everything. And I said, you know, you don't want to be jack of all trades, master of none. You don't want to be neither fish nor fowl. You want to commit and be something with a little bit of other things. But you have to have one thing at your core if we're going to, you know, we're going to use that word like everybody else does. So, so what, what, is your, what is your fitness persona? What are you, is it based on strength? Is it based on mobility? Is it based on flexibility? Is it based on endurance? What is your... People have to know when they call you what they're calling you for. So basically what you've thrown a stake in the ground, like what you stand upon. I mean, it's, um, you know, for us in Power Athlete, I mean, our deal is fostering and developing athleticism. I want to make people the best version of themselves through that. For you, what would you say, you know, your stake in the ground for? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, and what's kind of ironic is you're in a situation where you're training athletes for performance, but you also train people for aesthetics, uh, is there, do you see an interesting correlation when people stop kind of focusing on the aesthetics and start training for performance? Everybody ends up looking the part. You know, it's changed since, uh, you know, the, the black and white era of the 80s that it used to be guys wanted to be bigger and girls wanted smaller asses. And now guys want to be leaner and girls want bigger asses. I mean, that's, if I, if I pull back and look at this span of 29 years that I've been doing it, you go, wow. That's what that is. That's really, that's, those are the changes. So how do we, how do we marry the two when you get someone, I, I look at this, I train as many people as I can, like athletes. And then you put a little emphasis on um, the aesthetics. And really, if you go, I don't get that many guys. I'm, I'm probably not the go-to guy for hypertrophy, right? I'm not, people come to me and say, I want to get huge. I want to, I want to do a bodybuilding. So I'm not that guy. But when they want to get leaner and more defined, more proportionate and move, um, 
more athletically, I would be probably a solid choice. And that's one of the, you know, we, in our seminar series, Gunnar, we have coaches who are trying to deal with people who are trying to accomplish both. And one of the big isms that we toss out is form follows function, right? And I think that's where John's getting at is, if you want to look like a bad motherfucker, train like a bad motherfucker, right? You know, and, and oftentimes I remember working with, in the commercial side of things, you'd have a gal come in. She's like, oh, if I look at a weight, I blow up and I get bulkier than John, you know? And it's like, okay, uh, <laughs> okay. True statement. But they're like, oh, you know, I want to look like this person. And it happens to be an, like a track athlete or something like that, you know? And it's like that girl bangs weights every day in sprints. Like if you train like that, you'll probably look like that. You're not going to train like that today, but if we work towards that training style, it's going to put you in a pretty good place. But it was always like selling fucking... Well, uh, like, uh, dude, I mean, we, we've seen it for years. I mean, you take a look at, like, just the Olympics, for example. All the girls are, or guys even that come out and run the, the 100, the 200, the 400, the 800, they all have, like, a similar body type, and is it just so that that's, that body type naturally selected, or do they all have a similar appearance because those are the demands of the sport? I mean, it's just... It's like just like the dudes that are big shot putters, and you look at like football players i mean people end up training for the demands of what they're going to use it for and i think uh you know for the most part um and gunner probably sees this people are like oh, i want to be big well, i want to be lean uh i want to be flexible but i want to be strong and like they kind of like give all these kind of pieces and you're like how about something about in the middle and i think we talked a little bit about that where you know people go too far in one direction and ends up fucking everything up and you're like you know man what we did got to do is just be able to kind of hit that sweet point and get you where we need you to go but look, you guys know this as well as anyone. They're not going to get too big. We can we can leave that outside. That's never happening. You were never going to get too big. I, and I I had an argument with the lady once during an interview. I said I, it became a little annoying how she pushed that. But I respond to this and I did. So I said, honey, let me tell you something. And and I said it with honey because now I'm pissed. And I want to make sure we understand that it is in the pejorative sense. I will give you ten grand if you train with me for 90 days, do not increase your caloric intake and gain any size or any weight. And she goes, how can you make such a statement? And I said, with total confidence. That's <laughs> great. Getting big is a lifestyle. You guys know this better than anybody listening, I'm sure. It, it's, it requires you know, stress reduction, sleep, hydration, caloric intake, timing of foods, lifting certain weight, going to technical failure at this, in this rep scheme. Guys, it's not happening, ma'am. Uh, now we're back to the polite form. It's just not happening. So I, I, I try to I try to um, assuage that concern right out of the gate because especially for women, you guys, you don't have enough testosterone yeah. walking in here to build the size. So let's worry about that. Guys, in terms of getting too big, probably not going to happen. And if you do, take two days off and you're right back to where you are. So that's not a concern. It really comes down to separation in the muscle groups is what they really want. They want to be able to flex and see uh, separation. So it comes down to reduction of body fat. So I'm going to go with uh, multi-joint compound movements, um, quick pace, failing some, I'll shoot for that hypertrophy failure in that 12 to 15 range because if we have them on a slightly reduced caloric intake, then that'll probably get me there. And I'll throw in some hit intervals and I'll encourage them on their off days to do steady state cardio. And if they follow that, they're going to get a lot closer to that than if they didn't. At least that's been my experience. 
Do you, uh, I mean, um, so is it always the client that you work with, or do you have situations where, like, a, a movie house or an agency or something kind of or hires you for a specific task? Like, let's say, for example, like the movie 300 where they went to Mark Twight and they had a specific look that they wanted those guys to achieve. Do you ever have a situation where somebody comes and says, hey, we have this person, they need to, to attain this look, and this is what they need to do? So it's funny, you, you get the calls from different people and that comes back to the original part of networking and, and knowing people and, and making sure that you're identified with um, a certain skill set or a certain methodology so that they know when, they're, when that comes up and they're in, the, you know, they're in their think tank and they say, we really need this person to be leaner, they go, that's the guy. When they go, we really need this person to be bigger. They go, oh, I know the perfect guy, and it's probably and it's not me. But they're going to have, you know, it depends on it depends on who you know and how you get to know people. We're going to go to an event this Saturday that'll have a variety of people there. I'll know some, but I won't know others. But by the time I'm done, I'll make sure as many know that I'm there. And I'm not saying I'm going in with an agenda, but I just know that this is the right place to get the word out. And you have to do that because you are only as good as your last client, your last 15 minutes, you know what I mean? And, and you have to be, um, you just have to be, look, if you're self-employed, it's, it's, you have to, and I'm not taking the Laker job aside, you have to be on your game all the time, especially in a city like this where every fifth person is a trainer. And I mean, but you do have an agenda and I don't think that there's a problem with that, right? That's the nature of running your own business and being in a service industry like this, where, where literally you are surrounded by potential clients all day, right? Oh, and that's funny you called it a service industry. I, I do a presentation on that. It's a service business. Make no mistake about it. And the zip code I'm in dictates that it's five-star service. And, and we are – my facility – this is not pitching my facility, but that's what we do. And I, and I say that's what we do as well as or better than anybody. And if those are the clients we're trying to attract, then we want to – make sure that we mirror the services that they're used to getting. Right. So if these are the people that if you use a, if you use a hotel analogy, right, there's the, there's the four seasons, the Ritz Carls, the Mandarins, and then there's the Hilton's, the Hyatt's, the Marriott's, and then there's the best Westerns, the holiday inns and, and the motel sixes, all of them solid business models, all of them profitable. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? Which one does your target demographic look for? And, and you mirror that. So that's what we try to do. And I know, I know where I am, what my people are looking for. And, and you try to keep your prices reasonable so that they feel like there's a value in that service, so that they understand the service that comes along with um, what's going to go down in there, right? If there's a workout, but there are fresh towels, the place is clean, there's water, there's um, pre-workout, post-workout, you know, and, and you don't nickel and dime them. It's all included, right? If I, if I, if I owned that hotel, everything in the minibar would be free. The room would cost more, but it'd be free. And you're always going to get the dickhead who empties the minibar on the way out. And then you're going to get a number of people who don't touch it. And you find your price point where that balances out. So what was that journey like to realizing that you needed to be that five-star concierge service? I mean, That's I'm funny. assuming it wasn't always like that. That's funny you said that. I, I worked at a facility that I thought was terrific. And the guy started growing. I wouldn't say he grew too fast, but he probably grew more than he thought he was going to grow or than he ever imagined growing. And he started, um, 
he wasn't he wasn't present anymore. He was uh, he was in and out, just taking cash off the top, and it was it was that. And something broke. One of the main pieces of equipment on a cable crosser was in the center of the gym, and there was a sign on it that said um, "Repairs in Progress," and it was there for about three weeks. And one day I snapped and I said. Dude, I'm, I'm doing 55 to 65 hours a week in here. The main thing is broken, and you've got all these other clowns in here. What are we doing? And he, he lost it on me. And in retrospect, it was probably void rage on his part. He snapped and said, I'm doing the best that I can. If I'm the third best gym in LA and not the first best gym in LA, then I'm fine with that. And I said, You can't say first best. That's redundant. And that's the moment. And I went into my office and I thought about it and I thought, I'm not okay with that because if we're going to do this, I'm all in and I want to be the best. And I knew right then I had to go and do my own thing. And I thought about it before, but that's a huge undertaking, right? That going from trainer to gym owner, it's two very different hats. And you can be a terrific trainer and fail miserably as a gym owner. You can be a great gym owner and be, just be terrible as a trainer. So I started to do it and, and um, I left. I left about two and a half weeks later. I started out of my house and then bought the house next to my house and converted it into a gym. And then that all went away when I got divorced. And then I started, uh, then I went actually back to some in-home stuff, which I had been doing way before. And I thought, oh my God, I'm regressing. I'm just doing it in a better car. And then I <laughs> a location because out here, locations, everything. And I opened the gym I'm in now 11 years ago. And it's just been, it's been terrific ever since, but it's not, I mean, you guys know it's, when you're running your own business, there's, there's no rest, right? It's well, and, and just training people. Ugh. I mean, I, dude, I commend you. It is like, it is not an easy. No, when he throws out how many hours he works, yeah. uh, which I always said, man, if you train, like if you're working a 40 hour work week and you're training people and that's, and let's say you're training people for 40 hours, that's really like 80 hours of work. Because, uh, you know, you have people that are late. You're not going to have everything backed up. It's not as if you're going to say, uh, you know, get eight people in a row. Mm -hmm. It's going to be you're going to have three people in the morning. You're going to have this. And when I, uh, you know, when I got out of the NFL and I was working at the gym and I had all these private clients, I was like, dude, from 530 in the morning till seven eight or eight o'clock at night, my entire day was fucked uh, training with people. And then all of a sudden the guy flakes and I'm like, okay, well, that was an hour that I could have been doing something. And now I'm just sitting here. So what do you do now? And you get on your phone, you start working. And I was like, man, this is uh it's a tough way to slave and make your money. I mean, and I think your gym is uh, not open to the public. I know it's like private training. So it's not as if people can go buy memberships, correct? No, no, it's only private training. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did it a different way. I did, um, I made, I was fortunate enough to align myself with different brands. And uh, we use training as a loss leader, which is why we're able to keep the trade. So I have 5,000 square feet and we're 2.5 trainers in there. And by that, I don't mean that the one is less than as a trainer. I mean, there are less hours. So um, they're, they're, they're never more than four people, maybe a couple times as a crossover. And there's six people in 5,000 square feet. But we have um, affiliations with, with brands that um, that we have deals with them so we're sponsored in that way and that keeps the environment the way i want it to attract the clientele that is attractive to those brands so it's not a business model that you could run anywhere but you can run it here you can run it maybe in some major city and not in um higher profile cities i would say where they're celebrity dense because that's the draw well i think 
I think you could take this model and adapt it though. And I know John, we've talked I've told you this. If I were somehow if if I were a gym owner and I got stuck in that same balloon that the guy you were working for get you get to this point where you scale so big you can barely keep fucking equipment in check and you're looking at your membership rate you realize you're not present everything is falling apart at the seams i just think there's amazing opportunity there to go boutique and pivot and you lose a if he had checked his ego stayed at work a couple more hours a day because i'm telling you the guy he went from being at work 12 hours a day to be at work three hours a day. If he had just trimmed it down to five or six and also delegated a little bit better, he would still be open today. But yeah. he, he, he took the quick out and, and failed, eventually failed. I guess what I'm Don't you think most people, especially trainers and, um, you know, uh, get burned out on it. Like I, I, like I remember, uh, you know, like I had four pretty consistent clients and, uh, one of them was, you know, Nicole Pembrook and like, uh, Mulfetta and these guys. And like the, uh, I felt like a lot of times that I was like a therapy, they wanted to come and they wanted to talk. And I had to like really get into this and like, you know, have this kind of emotional connection. I'm like, dude, this is draining. Uh, like I just, for me, um, you know, being fairly like a, a little bit of an introvert, I think it, it it's harder. You got to be a little more, you know, I'm an extrovert and you got to be able to go in and be able to deal with these uh, personalities and people and this. So like when you, um, you talk about the amount, not only the people that you train, but also the amount that you do, how do you figure that you've been able to do that sustainable? Cause I mean, dude, as you know, what's that? Two, two things about that. Um, you, you can't take it home. You can't go home with that baggage. You have to find a way to leave that there. You can't connect. That's just uh, that's just bad for you overall, for your soul and for your family, in my opinion. Um, the other thing you have to be careful of is um, giving advice. At the end of the day, you know, and I'm not, look, I am one, so I'm not, I'm not um, beating up the profession, but you're a trainer. You're, you're, you're not a shrink. I know sometimes you're put in a position where they treat you like one, but I promise you, you're not, and you're not qualified. And when you start getting, I knew a kid who said to me, and he was a trainer and he was, he was actually at the time, I felt like he was a good trainer. And he started telling me he was going to one of his clients, um, uh, shrink appointments. And I go, what are you doing? So I have to drive her the paparazzi's there. And then she asked me to come in and I go, right. And the answer is no. It's no both times. And he goes, well, the shrink, you know, likes to get some of my insight. I go, no, no, the shrink doesn't need your insight. That's, that's insane. And he goes, well, I'm life coaching her. I said, how are you life I said, how are you? Hold on. How, you were doing the shoulder press 45 minutes ago. How are you life coaching anyone? You don't own a house. You have a bad relationship with your parents. You're not married. You haven't ever kept a pet for more than six months. You're in a position to life coach anyone and he kind of jokingly said i just tell them not to do any of the stuff i do and he laughed and i go not funny i go it's not cool and you you're in my opinion you are demeaning the profession become a great trainer not a half-baked trainer and a half-baked life trait life coach that doesn't equal you know those two halves don't equal one and and I just, I stand strong on that. You're not in that position. Don't give advice because that's going to come. Should I leave him? I don't know. You don't want to get it. You don't want to say, yeah, I've always thought he was an asshole. And, or, uh, you know, I would stay in it. You don't know the, the other 
going on in that relationship. Stay away from it. Just, you know, how do you feel? Just bat it back, bat it back. Don't give that. Don't talk religion. Don't talk politics. Stay neutral, you know, without being a, huh? Just be professional. Yeah, but that's tough. And you do see these people in vulnerable states. And, you know, people do... People do share, you know, big moments in their life with you. They, they, they do. There are ups and downs. There is euphoria. There is. There are tears. Those things happen. So, you have to be judicious with with how you handle that, or you're going to end up in a bad spot and probably without a lot of clients long term. And I think some of those mistakes are well intended, right? Because there is a rapport probably developed with the client. You do, you would you want what you think is in their best interest. But like you said, Gunnar, you don't fucking know you're a dipshit fucking trainer, right? You're not qualified to give this type of, even if you're a PhD trainer, that's not your place. Right. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, the farthest I go is wash everything on cold. That's what I'd say. (laughs) That's That's pretty good. I think I'm going to steal that. I heard a guy once at a wedding, the father, he said, I'm supposed to give some, life message some advice here and he goes the advice i'd like to give is when you come into the house and it's hot just turn the air down to 72 don't turn it down to 50 to get it to 72 faster because that's not how the air conditioning unit works what the guy said at the rehearsal dinner and i was like that is solid advice very (laughs) solid advice well that's something actionable it's something that you can figure out and he was literally mic drop on that and he walked out and i said oh, okay I nailed it it's got to be a metaphor for something right deep meaning oh well, yeah I mean, baby uh, steps yeah or just means um you know uh <laughs> don't or, fucking touch the thermostat and turn it all the way to 50 <laughs> yeah it's like uh like, like walking into my house constantly turning off lights and then span does the same thing he's like every time i walk in the house every fucking lights on he's like uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the job of the dad is to turn the lights off mm-hmm. yeah room to room following people yeah or uh, I always like the one from Colors where he talks about the two bulls. Let's run down there and fuck one of those cows. And the guy and the dad or the daddy bulls like, no son, let's walk down there and fuck them all. Like, take your time. Don't be in a rush. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of analogy. That yeah, works. Yep. So I guess on that line of thinking, I mean, you've had some some prominent some prominent folks from Hollywood and some celebs and well-known folks. And I'm not asking you to name names or anything like that, but have you received any like epic advice from the most unsuspecting client that's walked through your door? I mean, you got some, you got a heck of a track record. Uh, so I'll go on. I, you know, I don't talk about people I train, but it's out there. You know who, um, I, I was going through, uh, there, there was a tough patch there and I'm not going to associate it with any specific insurance sure. that you you can draw that, you know, you can connect those dots. And um, Bruce Willis said to me, when you stop worrying about the thousands, the millions will come. And my father goes, don't tell him that. He's, he's just going to use that as like a green light to waste money. And <laughs> it's not what he meant, obviously, but, and I take that as a gym owner. So that's how I, that's what mm-hmm. I extrapolated from that. When you, you keep worrying about, you know, should I buy two more TRXs and a BOSU? You just buy them. It's enough already with the thinking and, and these gym owners trying to not spend money on equipment or things that, you know, we don't need that. We can stack four towels and stand on the towels. It's just like a BOSU. And <laughs> a, little, a little bit, a little but not. So I'm not saying waste money or buy everything that comes along, but when, but when you 
something that you might need as a gym owner, go ahead and invest because it's an investment in yourself. And, and I think equipment, sure it's eye candy, sure you could do without it, but sometimes it's fun that the, the people are training with you and uh, trusting you with their development and growth. They see that you're putting money back in. They see that there's something new and shiny. Um, you know, that's how we took this country. Let's forget the trinkets, right? Yeah. And, 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 and they go, it's something for them to talk about. So when they're out, they do talk about the workouts. They do share this with their friend. You do become a part of their life. You know, how was your day? It was great. I went to my trainer. He had this new thing. It was like, put on it. And so those are things that I think ultimately give back. That's, you know, you talk about client retention. When they see that you're putting into your, you're investing, you know, not just your, your, your sweat equity, but you actually paid in. I think that goes a long way. I think gym owners a lot of time don't put back in once they do their initial uh, spending. So I'm not saying waste the money. Like that's not what Bruce meant, but invest in yourself. And uh, I know John's got a story about his first year with the Eagles and them in investing and changing weight room. What else do they yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I firmly believe it. I mean, we would periodically, uh, when I owned a gym, we would get new pieces of equipment, and I was always amazed when we would, like, either rearrange the gym or do some things and get a new piece of equipment, kind of put it front and center, how excited people were that there was something new or something changed. And I remember thinking, like, if you want to have a successful gym, you got to add some stuff, you got to take some stuff away, we got to get, we got this, we can, now we got this. But um, I think with, uh, when I was at the Philadelphia Eagles, we basically trained in, like, a converted-over broom closet uh, in Veteran Stadium. And then when we went to the new facility, we got this like amazing facility, you know, Care Center. And it was like, I remember one of the guys walking in and being like, fuck, man, we, we kind of hit the big time. And like guys like felt that. And I remember thinking like, I kind of like the fucking broom closet. Uh, the weights were rusty, but like I also grew up training in Zangus's gym, I mean, in his garage. So like that kind of garage gritty mentality, what I associated with Philly when we went to the place and I used to call it the, uh, um, the fucking Fortress of Solitude because it had all these glass windows and it was all fucking, you know, tall ceilings and air conditioning was really nice. I just think like you kind of lose some of that grit and some of that stuff. But I mean, for me, I think uh, I think if I was Gunner, I'd have like two gyms. I'd have like the really nice gym and I'd have like the fucking dungeon gym and be That's like funny. Wait, you have and, and just to be fair, you have not been to my gym. No, I never have. So my, I do have that now. We created the downstairs gym, which is a little more gritty. It's a little more tire flippy, rope sled. I mean, we have that stuff upstairs too, but the stuff downstairs is just a little gnarlier. And, mm-hmm. I, I, and uh, there's no AC. Yeah. There we have that um, that big ass fan. That's that's not me. That's the company name. Uh, in the corner and it's literally just moving hot air from here to there but uh it's just gnarlier that's what it is and and you got to know who you can take down there and you got to know when you can take them down there but it changes the vibe and some people i've taken them down there like this is disgusting and you're like i knew you would say that and other people go that was super fun it was like going on a field trip and you're like yeah we went down 15 stairs but it changes the whole vibe. Mm-hmm. So I do have that. And that's funny. I, dude, I've always wanted that. If, if I were owned a gym again, I would have like a really nice, like super posh, you know, kind of like everything's white and clean and like, you know, high end, like, you know, sore necks, like everything's powder coated white. And then I'd have like another side where it was like spray painted walls, graffiti, dark, rusty, you know, purposely cobwebbed and dirty and kind of be like when people come in and be like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Sorenex does. I think they do a clear. They do a. It's called a clear, clear grind. We have yeah. it. Yeah, we got the yeah, clear grind. It's sick. When I you come out, 
So you do the clear grind and then you spray the Halloween spider webs, cobweb stuff on the stuff? No, we just have uh, spiders here yeah, in Texas. Yeah, legitimate cobwebs, you know, yeah. mostly like wolf spiders. <laughs> you got to tee it up at some point. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it, it was pretty funny. We were on the monolift and I moved one of the dumbbells and there was a massive wolf spider underneath there that had just been killing everything and we could see all the remains. We're like, oh, so... Those are good things. So we just kind of help them outside and you'll go out and kill more stuff. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I just always thought like, uh, for people walking in, you can kind of like partition them into different ways. Like you said, mm-hmm. change up the environment. So you would have two different environments and be like, Hey, you know, let's start here. And then we're going to go down and, and, you know, a couple steps down into hell and let's go down in the dungeon and get this done. Yeah, Gunner, do you have a nickname like the cellar of the dungeon or hell? For do the downstairs? downstairs? Uh huh. Just the garage. Uh, oh, that's a oh. fucking good one. Great oh, one, Gunner. Man. Did you hear? All of a sudden, he's like, a lot yeah, of marketing dollars behind that one. It's the garage. <laughs> There's a lot of facility. There's a facility in uh, Miami. I just uh, I presented with this kid, um, Manning Sumner in um, in Miami. He has Legacy Fit, and he does what you said, change the equipment because we move our equipment around a fair amount, and he does it for every workout. He has. Uh, X pieces, obviously, that don't move. They're the big, heavy ones. But then all of the hit components, he moves them around and he numbers them. So the gym always looks different. The 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 sequence of the workout is always different. And he said that people love it. And I laugh. I said, I don't do it as um, – I don't have to say it's not a method the way he does it. But we do that inadvertently. And I just thought he's on to something. It's just an interesting way of training. Well, then, and also uh, it helps you not come in and go postal because you come in and you see the same environment every single day. You come in, right. you see something different. You have to do something different. I mean, it just uh, – I did have a good question. I don't know if, if you want to tell it or not, but um, what is by far the coolest gift that you've ever received from some people? Like I'm sure you work with people on movies and have gotten people ready for major parts and they've gone out and won huge awards and thanked you for it. Is, has anything ever come across where you've been like, oh, thank you? So anything strange, odd, weird? I have some cool, I have, I have, um, some weightlifting belts signed by, I have, I think I have Jack LaLanne, Sylvester Stallone, Dwayne Johnson. Um, I have a, a track shoe from Bruce Jenner cause he was Bruce Jenner at the time. Um, did you I get a high, did, did you get a high heel from, uh, I, from Caitlin? Yeah. From Caitlin. Not yet, but it's not over. Uh, <laughs> I have the Bruce Willis was given the Brass Balls Award by the Spike Network, and it's a it's a brass dumbbell, and he signed on it. Couldn't have done it without you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I have one that's actually point of pride. It's um, a tennis racket from Pete Sampras, and he wrote on it, "Thanks for extending my career." And to me, that's like that's just I don't know. That's a great. That's maybe. they're all my favorites you know it's like which one of your kids you like best the one who's not in trouble right now um but that site's one of my top pieces yeah there's some great ones. i mean i have great i have a picture of chloe kardashian that is on the cover of uh a magazine and it's i can't i cannot tell you on here but when you come out you got just what she wrote on it maybe the funniest thing i've ever seen written that's great we got to get out there I, I can't wait to come storming into gunner's gym and just you know sweating all over the place and uh talking shit and then having people be like oh who are these guys oh they're from texas mm-hmm. you'll look at it and you'll go wow <laughs> wow it's pretty cool i think what's like apparent here and maybe a young tex mcquilkin coming on to the crossfit football seminar staff would recall <laughs> that 
we found a lot of success and got a lot of positive feedback from our events. And the, the driving principle behind everything was to manage the experience, right? And to give a, the movie analogy from Almost Famous, you find that one person who's uh, not getting off and you fucking get them off. But you, as you own a gym and you become either burnt out or complacent, yeah. I think people just get fucking tired and lack creativity on how to pull levers to manage the experience. And moving the well, equipment around is a, a fucking dude, simple example. Uh, so uh, just to give some context, Text Gunner, uh, when we would go out and teach the seminars, I'd, I always talk to the guys about like, hey, you, you got to connect. Everybody has to get their moment. And I would always use the almost famous member where the guy's giving the interview and he's like, you look for that one person who's not getting off and you get them off. And it was kind of our, always like our kind of our mantra to be able to go out and do that. But I think what happens, especially in the gym business, is um, I you want uh, and, and really this happened to me where um, I, I wanted it more than the people wanted it. I remember going in well, and being you, so excited in your for, for, for like people to make like, dude, you've made incredible progress. Dude, you've rechanged yourself. Like you've gotten, you know, you've rehabbed it. Like you are like the person that I hoped you would be. And then all of a sudden be like, oh, I don't think I, I think I'm just going to quit the gym. And you're like, why? We just got started. Like we just reached all the goals. Like we got to set new ones. Uh, I'm good. I think I'm going to go do something else now. And just like casually just quit and walk away. And you're like, I invested so much time and effort and like uh, emotion into this thing that it's just so easy for people just to walk away and uh, to not connect anymore or be like, oh, you know what? Like we're going skiing for a couple of weeks. I think I'm just going to cancel my membership. I might not come back. No, I was but like, you didn't, I, I mean, I, I, you didn't waste that effort. You, you put it in. It was genuine on your part. It was it was thought out and there was, I mean, you can't ever, I would never regret putting that in. And I would look at that as a chapter unto itself. And then what's the next chapter? If the next chapter is with them, that's great. If the next chapter is with someone new, that's great. I would, I wouldn't want to always work with people who are just starting because then it's like teaching first grade all the time. And some you're going to take, you know, first grade all the way through grad school. Others, it's going to be first to six. And then they're going to, go on to a different private junior high. I mean, I don't know, you make that analogy as far as you want, but point is, if you're doing it with the right intention and you're fired, look, I, I, this is so bizarre. I've been doing this a long time and I still, I was driving in today and I had my workouts written for the people I was going to see at my gym. And then I saw uh, four guys down at the Lakers today. And I have, a, uh, you know, you're familiar obviously with the pitch shark, right? So I, I was thinking, I had this girl who's a model, and she's she's terrific, works hard, athletic. And I pit shark. Do you like the pit shark? Do you like it? I, I do. Have it, Have you ever used the West Side one, the West Side belt squat, on the I cable? Have not, I've, I've seen it, and I've seen the Kaiser one. Um, I have not been on the West Side one. No. Yeah, we used the West Side one, and uh, I went out and I used the pit shark, and I liked the West Side one better because we were able to do some more dynamic stuff with it. So just to you know. So I would, if I if I had access to one or when I come across one, I will definitely use it. And if well, I like it, I will buy it and put it in my garage. See what I mean by garage? Come, yeah. Well, come train with us. We got one. I got it. Uh, anyway, so I'm driving in the gym this morning, and it's about 4.30. And I thought, what if I had her do belt squats right into pull-ups, right into sled? The, the, I have a torque sled right there. And I thought, you know, that's a lot for groceries, a model, but – that's a lot. Those are, that's big body stuff, lower, upper hit, lower, upper hit. Could I, could I put her through that? So I did a few, when I got there myself, I've done it, but I try to do it at the pace that I would do with her. And I thought it was funny while I was doing it. I thought I have been doing this so long. Why am I so invested in this? Why do I care? She doesn't even care. She wouldn't even, 
And what? Like, you think this is Nobel Prize stuff, Gunnar? Come on. But for me, it was a big step to take a, a model and go from a heavy belt squat to a pull-up with a slow eccentric and then right onto a, a torque sled down the track. And and I thought, does that make me weird that I'm so invested in that? And then I thought, no, I think that's that's that passion. And if you're a chef, you're probably driving thinking, what if I add the cumin to the thing with the rosemary? I mean, I, I don't, you know, I think that's what makes you good. That's what makes you grow. And that's what your people come to you for because they're not coming up with that on their own. So they're turning to you and you're doing them a disservice if you're not trying to be better and different all the time. Not different for different sake, different for better sake. And again, staying out of the specifics, but so here's an example of a model, you know, and we're all kind of picturing the archetype, right? You know, kind of maybe like high maintenance, averse to a barbell or hard work. Is is that a common transition for you? And I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with like the lady, the female population that you get. They come in and it's like very foo foo and very standoffish, and all of a sudden they're savages, ripping pull ups and doing sled work. You know, which is very uncommon. She's she's worked with me long enough to know that anything could be coming down the road. I mean, not going to be a stranger to it, but, but that belt squat, you know, sometimes they complain that it, it did the belt, the way it's the edges are, are, are whatever they are, they're waxed the way they're sealed. It digs into their inner thighs a little bit. They don't like that. Okay. So you put a towel, but she's done the movements before, but the sequencing was a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, her heart rate was definitely higher than her rent. I mean, she was cranked and, so I didn't mind. She didn't mind it. There was no pushback, but definitely I think she thought, holy shit, this is aggressive. For Hit seven. the guardrail a little bit. Yeah. So, but I like that. And I think, and, and I would imagine she left and told her athlete boyfriend, I did this and I did this and I did this. And that's, that's currency in her world. And eventually that comes back to me of, I'm the guy who doesn't mind pushing the girl who is like used to before the girls that look like this and they're training like that. And people find that hard to believe. I don't mind being that guy. Yeah. That's how I pushed her. And that's why she looks like that. That's great, man. I guess sticking with the female athlete and I guess with the, with sport of fitness and high protein diets, we've seen kind of the image of the woman change and like strong is beautiful. Like, have you always, how is that transition in your gym? For your customer they're asking for this or asking for that or have you always encouraged kind of hey we're going to get strong and w- this is going to be beautiful no I, I don't talk about it too much because then it becomes a discussion so i sort of move and and just transition into it and if they if they balk at all i'll say oh you gotta this is my world trust me when i'm gonna go pick out an outfit i'm gonna turn to you because i'm clueless fashion and i've had that conversation when they go do we have to do this i go no we don't have to do anything we can just go sit but i didn't think you came here for that you've got to trust me on this and you can only ask for that so many times before they either do or they don't and then eventually they'll find their way out of your schedule or or they'll keep coming and they'll realize the benefits from it they go i don't want to get you know it comes back to that i don't want to, and i shout that by the way a number of times every day that's my little mantra i don't want to get too big and you know i've weighed i've got about a nine pound flux here and it just comes down to you want to be sub 10 percent body fat or just over i don't want to go too far but i don't want to it's harder for me to get this way i don't sleep enough whatever so they got to trust you on that and i go look 
I, I've been trying to get big for 30 years. Not that I haven't been successful. I've never gotten huge, so don't worry about it. You're not going to. You're not putting half the effort into it that I do every day, so relax. So are you, maybe you don't want to answer this, but which one's the breath of fresh air? Or maybe it changes. Going to work with these Laker guys or coming back and working with the crowd in your garage? Or is it like it's the grass is always greener? <laughs> No, it's fun and it's interesting. You know, last year was my first year with the team and uh, it, it's a different animal. I've, like I said, I've been working with NBA guys for 22 years, but the guys I've been working with are the guys who sought me out, right? Like the high end, the achievers, the guys who are really, really pushing to take it one step farther than they're going to get in their mind with their team, which is not fair because there are a lot of great strength coaches in the NBA. Um, uh, and now the, the grind of the season, I, I pride myself on outside that world on, I never, I've never sold fitness to anybody. I'm just not that guy. I don't market it. I don't sell it. If you want it, I'm here. I hope you come get it because I know how huge it's been in my life. But if it's not for you, then it's not for you. And I'm totally cool with that. Keep it moving. Um, but down there, it's different, right? I'm responsible for making sure they get X amount of lifts in a week and that, that translates to their performance on the court. And we had about a 98% um, uh, show up rate or, or attendance rate on all the lifts for the first half of the season. I think we finished with like a 94, 93%. So we didn't have a lot of guys skipping lifts and missing, but it, there was more, um, we had to coerce more. We had to convince more. We had to pitch more and sell more. Come on, today's lift is short. Come on in, you'll be out in a minute. And I've never had to do that. So that was an adjustment. So I didn't love that. Um, but overall being part of a team, that's that's great for somebody who's worked side by side with one person, you know, albeit six of them over the course of, of a lot of years. It's a lot of years, 21 years to only have one other dude around you. You kind of go, if I'm operating in a vacuum, if I keep saying it, is it true? And it's the team thing was cool. And we have great um, front office and coaching staff, just cool guys to work with. Is it something where you go in and do you work with the players one-on-one or do you work with them in groups? So last year it was, um, I I did group workouts and tried to, you know, tweak things, progress and regress as needed. And I have two guys that I work with down there. And, um, Apparently in the exit meetings, the guys requested more one-on-one stuff. So this offseason, it's been one-on-one. We sort of, you know, split the baby. So we'll see how it turns out. And I said, well, you know, you don't want it to turn into a personal training gym because that kind of kills the vibe and the energy that we had going there. As you know, an athlete lifting in a group, you know, whether it's by position or by height or by whatever, uh, salary. That'd be interesting. I'd like to- <laughs> well, no, but I, uh, basketball guys are way different than football guys. I mean, I remember seeing like one of like, uh, I can't remember what game we were, or we were at the airport and, uh, we saw like the Sixers, uh, their private jet. And we were like, that's their private jet. And there's like, well, yeah, there's only like 11 of them and they travel with the gym bag. Like, it's not like this fucking circus of like, you know, you uh, 50 58 people and like a hundred staff and you have to take a fucking 747 with all this equipment and, you know, advanced people. And it's this whole deal. They're like, dude, these guys fly around on a private jet, like, and they make way more money than us. So like, I just think, uh, and for con- the, and their contracts are guaranteed. Let's never forget. That. Yeah. Yeah. Contracts are guaranteed medical. I mean, it's fucking dude. We're, we're like slave labor compared to those guys. But I just remember, uh, uh thinking like, man, like I, I wonder if it's the same. And then also there's such a, you know, with 
within the NFL, like the the contracts are fair, like f closer. In NBA, you might have a guy like LeBron James who's making like the GDP of like a fucking small country, and then another dude who's making the minimum, and like LeBron gets to sit in the first seat, and that dude gets to sit in the back of the plane. And uh, I just think for uh, for those guys, I just I have you know whether or not the team environment or how it works. I mean, you know, for if you pick up their team and you have ten guys to train or eleven guys. I mean, it's probably a much smaller deal than working with a football team or, you know, other large sport. Yeah, it's definitely a smaller deal than you guys. And um, the emphasis, the culture, there's not automatic buy-in, whereas with you guys, not to generalize, but too late for that, uh, that's been since high school. That's been, it's been probably mandatory unless, I mean, tell me I'm wrong, right, yeah. for you guys to live, right? And we have guys who just, it's just never been a part of what they did and they they shied away from it or they stayed with body weight i mean if you guys just did body weight i don't think you'd get as far as you got right i don't think no, you, for fucking NFL dude, guys you gotta i mean uh it's twofold one you have to learn how to move heavy loads fast and then you also have to be able to build enough muscle mm -hmm. that you can protect yourself yeah but what would herschel walker say uh <laughs> Well, so you got one dude, and and here's Earl and, Campbell, and here, huh, yeah, and you know what? We can Earl, keep going. Earl Campbell can't even walk anymore well, now because he didn't lift weights. Yeah, <laughs> but if he had, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this: the guys that have lifted weights I, I, yeah. and uh, have developed, I, I think, who who you who said it the other day about the meat suit? I don't know. Uh, my buddy Rick used to always say that he'd be like, "Dude, your meat suit's looking pretty good." I'm like, "What? That's the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever heard." And he's like, "Yeah, it's but you know, like Rick's 135 pounds." But like that, that that two fold deal. Like, hey, not only do I need to learn how to like move, uh, you know, heavy loads fast, but I also need to be able to build enough internal armor or external armor, however you want to look at it, to be able to survive the fucking mm -hmm. job. And uh, you know, that comes with a price. So, yeah. but it, I've heard that narrative before, Gunner, in terms of and making a generalization warning, right? A lot of the talent is built through just playing the sport as a young kid on, you know, either on blacktop organized games with your pals or whatever, but it's just playing the sport, playing the sport, playing the sport. And there's a stigma in our high school guys. Cause we have a lot of coaches who are working with high school guys like, Hey, you know, lifting weights throws off my jump shot. So, you know, they lift weights one time and obviously they lack coordination due to fatigue, let's say, or soreness. And this jump shot is off. So it's automatically out. Like, well, I'll never do that again. But that sounds like that culture is, yeah. But less, less so now because there's a, a greater understanding and, and the message has been, um, the message has been passed on by enough voices and, and hopefully there's more buy-in. But definitely, you definitely come across that. So what do you think as, as that curve continues to flatten out, like the, you know, the old school thinking, and we start to see the hockey stick of, hey, strength and conditioning, lifting weights, plyos, you know, a lot of these training tools can benefit my basketball game. Do you think the sport is going to fundamentally change like 12-foot hoops, fucking like jock jams? Oh, 12-foot hoops could be interesting. <laughs> no, no, I, think, I, think the, I think the dunk and, and the backboard blocks are huge parts of the game, big momentum swings, big, you know, crowd engagement. Yeah. Um, I would doubt that would change, but I think, you know, will the athletes become bigger? I don't know if they'll be necessarily bigger, but they'll definitely be stronger. It's a very, I mean, if you guys, I don't know how many people watch it up close to, you know, basketball is not a contact sport. Basketball is very much a contact sport and there's a ton of, of banging down there and they're, they're big guys and they're hitting hard and they're hitting with intention and it's not football. It's not rugby. It's not, you know, Australian stuff, but they're definitely, um, 
it's a contact sport and they, they get banged up and there's a lot of long limbs flinging. I'm surprised there's not, I'm surprised there are not more injuries and more severe injuries and eye pokes and that kind of stuff than, than there are. Yeah. But I mean, these guys have been playing this game since they were kids. So, I mean, there's a, a kinesthetic awareness, uh, whatever you want to call it. Like there's an inherent uh, uh, understanding of not only like spatial relationship. I mean, basketball those, guys are some of the best I've ever seen in the world about being able to judge their distance between mm-hmm. people. And it's because they've learned in that environment. We talked today with, or, uh, with a guy about creativity and being able to like flourish this information just by giving people the opportunity for it. Um, you know, and just think about their ability to play in so many different ways. I mean, guys can go play hoops and just go play. I mean, just go play. And I remember, you know, seeing guys that played, you know, when I was in college, uh, you know, guys playing the Cal basketball team, we'd see them playing like pickup ball in places. And they'd be like, dude, you got to play everywhere. You got to play somewhere with the fence. You got to play somewhere with no fence. And that kind of just mentality of they developed just growing up in that. I think it, um, it gets interesting. Uh, is, uh, um, do you think the training, I mean, obviously you're talking about big guys banging down low and like this, but I mean, it, does the training come into something where you're not necessarily looking at like the training as like a performance uh, marker in terms of like, hey, this is going to help you hit a better jump shot, but now you're going to have a higher level of fitness. You're going to be stronger. Durability. So that, yeah. So now you're more durable, which I think for uh, for basketball becomes like the biggest uh, selling point is just durability. In football, it's like, hey, can you hit harder and hurt the dude so you can get away? Perfect. But in basketball, I mean, that's not necessarily the case. It's more that durability factor, correct? Durability is huge. Remember, they have a two game season. It goes forever. And the guys who the guys who go to the uh, playoffs and all the way to the championship, they're playing. You know, sometimes 100 games. It's like a crazy number of of minutes out there. It's a lot. So if you can if you can um, illustrate how the training is going to increase durability and um, reduction of injury, that to me that's the huge part, right? So if we can keep if you can get a guy who can make it 82 games and he's never had more than 60 games in a season that's a huge pitch for me and and if you can convince is the wrong word but if you can just educate is probably the best way and you say look this is what this is doing your body's going to do what it does we're going to help it better we're going to help you be able to last longer and not just 60 games becomes 82 but three years becomes five or six years becomes nine that's income earning that's changing and you don't want to, you know, I know we all play for the love of the game. I get it. But you know, you'd be hard pressed to come out of one year of college and after your career is done, find a job that pays you the way your athletic career pays you. So uh, for me, the goal, and I joke about this with some of our guys, is the goal is to play in the NBA for as long as you can play in the NBA and keep being paid for your value to a team. So stay durable, stay healthy, stay out of trouble. You know, that it sounds basic now. Maybe I'm older, I get it, but I think I would have gotten it back then. Like somebody said, you know, you got to remember these guys are 20, 21, 22 years old. What were you doing? I'm like, you know, I was looking for my keys pretty much, just, you know, trying to find, is that place still open? It was that thing. But also I wasn't, nobody was dangling that kind of, of money over my head to stay out of trouble to, you know, so you got to look at it that way. They need somebody in their corner who, who teaches them about playing for as long as you can. And with the rookies going in from your first year to now your second year, they got to jump from 30, 35 games to the 80. So what is that on ramp like for those rookies from your perspective as a strength coach? I, I think the strength coach is invaluable and, and you know, probably <laughs> 
across the board underpaid. If you think about it, I would it, agree. Oh yeah, one hundred. Double it. If, if they're connecting with the guys on a level and they're helping these guys realize that jump, like you just said, thirty games to eighty-two, and we had some young guys who played a lot of minutes this year and a lot of games, and and I mean, I thought a lot of them did really well. Our injuries were not huge, and and you know, some a guy gets a, a fluke broken hand. That's you know, I don't know what you're going to tell me you could have done in the weight room to prevent that. But other than that, keeping those guys on the court, that's a monster responsibility for the strength coach and, and more power to the guys who do that year in and year out. And it's not just getting the guys to do it, but they connect with the guys, they build that trust, and you get the guys coming to you for those lifts, texting you, hey, can we get that lift in today? Or, hey, I'm on court tomorrow at 9.30. Do you mind if we get in at 8.45? And those are the guys that, to me, you want them to realize that. So what's next for Gunner? I mean, do you have any plans? Are you riding out this NBA thing? Are you going to hang up the – are you going to hang up your garage gym and go full-time strength and conditioning? You know, are you taking on mentors I, I, and interns? I kind of thought he's going to, like, hang up his golden jockstrap. You know, he's, you know, replace it with a, uh, you know, gold and, uh, and a purple jockstrap and then get out there and just be the, you know, flying to all the games. I mean, because you go to all the games with the guys, don't you? Well, last year I didn't, uh, I didn't travel. That wasn't part of my contract. I probably went on five of the, of the shorter road trips, but this year I'm going to travel. So um, we'll see what it does. I mean, at the end of the day, not to take the romance out of it, but for me, it's family first. So mm-hmm. yeah. if, if I feel, um, if I feel any tension at home, then, then that's going to be where I put my focus. So I'm not, I'm not at the age or the stage where I'm going to say, Hey, this is my job. I have to do this, honey. Pipe down. I'm not, that's not me. Sure. So <laughs> I'm taking care of my wife and my kids. That's all going to come first. And if I can, if I can find the balance, then more power to me. But if I can't, I know I'm going to go. So are your kids going to take over the family business or what? Are you grooming no. them? Are your kids going to take over the family business? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, I was... just, they watched me set my alarm and go, Dad, are you nuts? It wouldn't even, there's zero chance of that. <laughs> We've paved the way with, hopefully, if this is done right, they've seen that daddy gets up and goes to work every day. And I think that's, I think that's important for a kid to see. That's just my views. Um, they've also met some really interesting people by virtue of what I do for a living, right? They've met action heroes they've met fortune you know 400 guys they've met inventors creators artistic people athletes successful athletes athletes who were less successful than they maybe could have been and they've been able to put all that together and say i don't want to do that i do want to do this i see this and i watch them find their path i got two of them in college now and uh and two more coming up so no, no they're definitely that's the long answer. The short answer is no chance. <laughs> no chance. And and I think you got a little guy, right? Two years old. That what? Uh, don't don't you have a young child? Uh, didn't you tell me that you, you have some old ones? You got a young one too. I have. Did you? I can't. You're, you're, you have that thing in your mouth. Is that? Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Is that better? Oh, it's that end. Yeah. There you yeah. go. No, but I I remember you. <laughs> I don't want you to get excited over there. Uh, well, you also have a young child, right? Um, I do. I have, my kids are uh, 20, almost 19, 14, and two and a half. Same the spread. Age, same age as my little boy. So my little boy's two and a half. That's how we do it. 
<laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm glad to know that you're not out there shooting blanks. It's good. Generational. Somebody, somebody said to me, you know, once you're out of diapers, and I go, yeah, I know. I was out of <laughs> We're at a diverse for a while here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're right in the heavyweight fight. Uh, I tell these guys, I can't wait to see them in the heavyweight fight. No, I fight. got a system. You know, we just got to get texts. Uh, you got any uh, single ladies that we can introduce the text to? There is nothing better than kids. I, and, and I know it's not for everybody, and I'm not pitching it. If that's not your thing, that's not your thing. And for me, there is nothing better than kids. Gunner, I joke around, man, six daughters. That's the goal. That's what I told Luke. I'm like, you're destined for six daughters. Six daughters, bring it. Six what? Daughters. daughters. Oof. What? Easy. Easy day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I keep telling them girls are a lot of work, man. Wow. Do it once and see. <laughs> Nothing better than the kids, man. That's it's, it's I don't know. Whatever. That's a, that's a whole nother podcast, but that's uh, that's, it just comes back to that. You just sit there and, and all that stuff you heard in the day and the stress and the drawing, it just all goes away for me anyway. Good to know, man. Well, Gunner, I mean, we've been on for a little bit. You got anything else, Tex? John? No, no, we're great. I appreciate that we, you know, you've been taking the time. We were able to finally connect on this thing. Fucking hunt you down. Yeah. No, I, no, that is so unfair. I had a meeting to go to. He's winking, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, he's winking. It's so weird. He's got his pants <laughs> off. Well, actually, I and the, the hilarious part is when I texted you when, and I put text on the attachment, it was like one year ago to the day. That we were trying to get this podcast together last year, and then something, you know, and then you, you know, did the Laker gig. So I, you know, you got to pass on that one. So I'm glad we were able to fully knock it out. Like nine months. What's that? Then you blew me off for like nine months. Yeah, I, hard oh. to get. Classic well-worn move. <laughs> yeah, you were busy. Uh, dude, we moved to Texas. We got a lot of stuff in the fire. But no, it was great, man. We got to connect at Summerstrong. We got to go out and throw axes, which I thought How was a little. Why dude. do we have? Why doesn't he do that? Like. Winter strong, summer strong. Well, like we have this thing called the Power Athlete Symposium, which is in the winter that we is very, very similar to summer strong. I'm Except, gonna check my emails and see if I. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we actually have you slated to present. So, oh, yeah, you didn't our know people that. haven't heard heard from your people yet. Huh? You didn't know that, huh? When is it? December seven, eight, and nine. Let me see. Depending on where the Lakers are, shoot. I wish it was over All Star break. I'd shoot over there. Let me check where we are. We'll see. Oh, we'd love to have you. Well, either way, maybe over All-Star break, we try to just link up and figure do something. We'll come visit you or yeah, whatever's man. convenient. Yeah, we'd love to come out and, and check this place out. Oh, here, look. You guys are welcome to come here. Ooh. Chill in the guest house. Yeah. That's an open invitation. Oh, don't get the G. <laughs> what's, what's that big G stand for? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the bunk bed situation? No, no, there are two bedrooms upstairs. One of them, no, there's there's enough beds. I wouldn't invite you unless you know want to watch you do spoon or something. Yeah, we uh, we share a bed anyways. Yeah, it's about mean, <laughs> we keep the laundry cost down for our, yeah, our hosts. We, we usually shower in the pool, so if you see some naked dudes out in yeah, the pool, pool pond, a, a, a pond's good for you. As an outdoor shower, trust me, it's dialed. I wouldn't throw the invite out if I couldn't handle it. Awesome. Oh, I appreciate we'll take it, you up man. on it, amigo. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's another episode of Power Athlete Radio. If you are not trolling Gunner Fitness and Gunner Peterson online and seeking out just literally the the archives of strength and conditioning, I mean, blowing dust off maybe an inch deep. I mean, I'm talking like the original 
<laughs> like stone tablet of strength and conditioning, you're missing out because Gunner's been around forever. <laughs> you know, he actually, had, you know, like he said, he got his uh, what is it, uh, his uh, NSCA certification yeah. on a stone tablet. Yeah, first client was Moses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go change the diaper now. All right, all right, amigo. Good see ya. Thanks. Right, Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'll see you later. Yep. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can learn more about Gunner's approach by heading to his very own website, GunnerPeterson.com. And as promised, of course, I have yet another random reason for you to attend the Power Athlete Symposium this year on December 7th, 8th, and 9th in Austin, Texas. If you are a fitness or sport coach, write it off, people. Just write off the whole damn trip. Your ticket, write it off. Transportation, write that shit off too. 27 beers beers are expensive and i spoke with your accountant he said you should also write that off do i know what a write-off is no but they do and they're the ones writing it off until next time bye